Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 176 of the Ask the Coach show, where ping skills helps you improve your table tennis. 176 is a happy number, so hopefully this is going to be a happy show. A happy number is where you take the sum of the squares of the digits and repeat the process until the number either equals one, where it will stay happily, or it loops endlessly in a cycle, which does not include one and is forever sad. So 176 is 1 squared plus 7 squared plus 6 squared, which equals 86. 86 is 8 squared plus 6 squared, which is 100. 100 is 1 squared plus 0 squared plus 0 squared, which is 1. So happy. Yay. Our happy drill of the week is X's and H's. So we'll explain what that is and why it's good to practice. In the questions, we discuss Ma Long's record against Fan Dong. We also talk about long serves and how they can be effective and why it's important to twist your waist when looping. I'm Jeff Plum, and as always, Supercoach Alois Rosario is here with me to answer your questions. Welcome, Alois. Uh, thank you, Jeffrey, and uh, gee, I'm happy. <laughs> I know, I thought you would be. It's yeah. such a happy number, 176. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I woke up this morning thinking, 176, that is fantastic. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Now, do you have anything exciting for us about this day in history, Alois? What do you mean, do I have anything exciting? Of course I've got something exciting. Jeffrey, on this day, Thomas Edison, famous, almost as famous as the Macintosh, Thomas Edison successfully demonstrates the first commercially viable electric light bulb. Now, that is big. I mean, look at the light. Um, Any idea what year? Um, 1876. Oh, my goodness. 1879. Oh, so close. You are a brilliant man, Jeffrey. 1879. There you go. There you go. Great work, Thomas Edison. All right. That makes me happy, Alois. Let's, let's talk about drill of the week, X's and H's. Yes. X's and H's, one of my favourites. So what X's and H's is, is it gets both players um, moving at the same time. So X's and H's refers to the pattern that the ball makes on the table. So I am playing X's, which is going cross that way and cross that way, making an X. So if the ball comes to this forehand corner here, I go across. If the ball comes here, I go across. You are doing H's. You're doing straight this way, making the H pattern. And so when the ball goes there, you're going to play it to here. When the ball goes there, you're going to play it to here. So I'm going cross, straight, cross, straight, cross, straight. So the ball is making an X pattern and an H pattern on the table. Um, Really good for, as I said, getting both players moving because then you're both alternating between forehands and backhands. Um, Give it a try. Even use it as a warm-up exercise instead of you doing your forehands and backhands. Try X's and H's. I like it, Alois. Now, I guess one of the key features of this drill is that you're always changing the direction. Often in table tennis when we're practicing, we hit the ball back to the same place it came from. But here you're always switching the direction, which is not an easy thing to do, but it is a good tactic in matches. Yeah, you're right. And especially when you're trying to change from cross court to down the line can be can be awkward sometimes. Um, so it's a really good one to practice. 
being able to change that direction from go, uh, the ball coming across to you playing down the line. So it's sort of easy playing down the line, down the line, or cross-court, cross-court. But as you say, changing that direction is great. And one thing I found when doing this drill, Alice, was like you said, when you're going down the line, it's a bit trickier to change the direction. It's just because of the angle the ball's coming in, but that's a good skill to learn. And then when you're doing the Xs, you have to move a lot further than when you're doing down the lines because the ball's going out wider, so it really challenges your footwork. So depending on whether you're doing Xs and Hs, you really get a slightly different um, benefit from the drill. Yeah, that's right. Actually, when when your partner's doing the Xs is when you need to move because they're getting that angle out wide and out wide. So, yeah, so that really gets you moving. And then... um, also trying to get that ball down the line is, is quite quite tricky. So, yeah, really good drill to, to, to try. Yes, thanks for clearing that up. That's what I meant when the partner's doing the Xs. Good, good. one. Good. All I right, so, <laughs> so this week get out there and try Xs and Hs. All right, Alois, let's move on to yesterday's Pink Skillers question of the day, which was, Will anyone get close to Ma Long for the Rio Olympics men's singles title? Yeah, so we did have a few uh, few replies on the Facebook page, and um, Ahmed said uh, he thinks Zuzin. Um, Thad said the way Ma Long is playing at the moment, I think he will win. Um, Sam Miller said Zhangzi curse certainly, and uh, yeah, I mean Zhang's you know proven performer in big matches, um, and then. Uh, Nair said, not without some serious creativity. Everyone plays the same game, it seems. It's like a choreographed dance. You'll have to bring a new and unpredictable dance to the floor to beat Ma. Mix the defence of Ju, the offence of Zhang, and the creativity of Yanove, and you might have a chance. Hmm. Yes, very, very... uh... That sounds like a pretty impressive player there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't mind uh, seeing that player. And... uh, Rory said uh, there's a long time between now and Rio, and that's completely right, Rory. Um, I doubt anyone would have predicted Zhang Zhi Ke's current struggles based on his performance last year. So very, very good point, Rory. I, I like your thinking too. You know, like certainly at the moment, um, Ma Long looks the favourite, but as Rory says, it's a long time between now and Rio, uh, August uh, next year. Um Lots can happen, injuries, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and things change, you know. Like, but, gee, I mean, if the if it was played today, wow, Ma Long is out there. But the other thing that we need to think about also is qualification spots. So remember, in the men's singles, we can only have two Chinese players. So who are the two Chinese players that are going to qualify? Certainly, it looks like Ma Long will. Um, <clears throat> but then, who gets that second spot? Is it Zhu Zin? Is it Zhang Zikou? Is it Fan Zendong? Um, you know, there's a whole whole lot there. And that's through a qualification process as well. So, um, yeah, it's uh, all all still up in the air and uh, be interesting to see, firstly, who actually gets those two qualification spots from China. Yeah, certainly will be, Alois. And I think we need to just research that because isn't there something about the top 20 players in the world get automatic selection into that Draw? Yeah, that's but, third, third but, and, but you can still only have two players from one country. So, Yeah, exactly. So maybe they don't have to qualify. It just goes on the world rankings. Yeah. yeah. So maybe. We'll search it up yeah. and find out the information yeah. for you. 
Yeah. Um, and- while we're on this topic, Alois, um, Ilya has a question. He says, during the season of the Chinese Super League, Ma Long lost to Fan Zendong several times, but on the international stage, Ma Long overpowered him without giving him a chance. How can this be? Yeah, it's, it's, it is strange, isn't it? Like um, the differences in results from uh, at different levels um, is quite amazing. And, you know, is it that just the nervousness on one side, the, um, the ability to raise the level for an important match on the other side? I think it's probably a little bit of both. You know, Fan Zendong, still the challenger, still trying really hard to to overcome or to get to that top level. And in um, the Chinese Super League, I mean, you know, it's still a big match, but it's not the pinnacle. And maybe he's a little bit more relaxed in his own um, uh, surroundings, whereas on the big stage, he gets a little bit nervous. Um, Ma Long now has that confidence that we've seen after winning the World Championships, and maybe he just lifts a level. Um, So... You know, instead of being here, it's now here. And it, that's all it takes. You know, it just takes that slight adjustment. Um, and it's not like Ma Long's beating Fan Zendong 11 twos. It's, you know, sevens and eights. So that that just means it's one or two points, really, isn't it? I mean, instead of winning 11 eight, you, you lose two of those points and you're down 10 nine. So um, it's small margins in this game. Um, yeah. and, and it's just the difference in, uh, I, I think, mental ability. Yeah, certainly is. And as Rory said, with the time to the Olympics still being um, quite a, a while away, you would think that Fan Zendong being so young has more room for improvement because often people improve quite fast and then they then it's harder as they get better and better to improve more. And Fan Zendong being younger in this next eight months, he probably has more room for improvement. He probably does, but that improvement is slow. You know, we often talk about, you know, initially when you start to play the game, you know, you sort of improve at that rate. Um, but to get from here to the very top level here takes a very, very, very long time. You know, um, we often talk about, you know, we, we, I mean, last Olympics we were talking about Fan Zendong being, um, you know, possible threat. Um, coming around to this Olympics now... It, it's we're still talking about it. So so that little margin uh, of change does take a long time. But, you know, it, it might only take um, one or two wins of Fan Zendong at the top level and suddenly his confidence grows and now he thinks that he's invincible. So, yeah, it's all just uh, small margins and small margins up here. It is, yeah. And that rate of improvement in table tennis is difficult to measure because your results could depend on other players as well. So it's hard to measure your exact ability at one point in time. But, yeah, definitely getting better at the beginning is easy and getting better later is harder. I know in, you know, you take something like, I knew I could get a Rubik's Cube back in this show, Alice. You take something (laughs) like Rubik's Cubes and you see that the best in the world improve really fast and they get down to, like, solving it in 20 seconds in only a couple of months. Then it takes them, you know, three months to get down to 10 seconds. Then it takes them, you know, years to get down to, you know, six seconds. So the improvement really slows down and, you know, they might spend four years and only improve one second um, once they get really good. Yeah, that's right. And that's, that's, a, that's a, um, a nice um, numerical 
uh, way of, of seeing it too, where, you know, it's just it, most of the time it's just you against yourself with that Rubik's Cube. So, yeah, that's uh, it's a good demonstration. I, I knew I liked the Rubik's Cube for some reason. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, Alois, let's move on to the questions. Mike D has jumped on and asked a question from our Google Plus page, which anyone can do. So jump on board. We love hearing your questions. So thanks, Mike. He says, hi, guys. Satoshi Aida in the men's semifinal in the US Open 2015 did a serve, and I'll put a link in the show notes to this video, uh, which was slow and long to the forehand. There were many instances where Wang Jinjin could not loop the serve. Why was Aida's serve so successful? Yeah, so um, I didn't know much about Aida, but I uh, just had a bit of a look at, um, at the match. So Aida's um, serve in this instance, the one that uh, Mike's talking about, is a backhand uh, serve. So he serves it from the middle of the table, backhand serve long to uh, the forehand corner. Looks pretty innocuous, looks pretty easy, but the, the real story is in Aida's style. So Aida's a very difficult um, player to read. He chops sometimes, he hits sometimes. So he's always throwing you off balance and he's always keeping you guessing. So even with that serve, um, you, you, you don't know whether to expect him to play as an attacker, so to, to serve it short and come in and attack. Or he's, in this situation, he's done this long serve to the forehand and then he's ready to chop the next ball. So there's just different pressures in you, and there's always doubt in the receiver's mind as to what's happening and what's going to happen on the next ball. So that's the real key. If he just did that serve um, all the time and stood there and tried to attack the next ball... Um, then Jin 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 would would be able to just stand there and, and be confident enough to really attack that ball and, and put it away. But it's just um, the Ada's whole game that really throws him off balance. Yeah, interesting, Alois. And I guess if um, Aida did that serve and won the point the first time then the pressure might build up on Jin Jin the more times he does that serve as well. So that's that's one other thing. And I think the, another point that you often make, Alice, is you have to play against the opponent. And what I mean by that is that some players might hit that serve really well, but other players have trouble with it. So find a serve that your opponent doesn't like and, and use that serve often. And that's um, why we have the ping skills vault, so you can record these types of tactics. Um, so I think that's an important point. And going out wide to the forehand seems like a strange thing to do, but often players don't serve there, so people aren't used to returning serves there. So it's actually a good place to try to serve to occasionally and just see how your opponent handles it. Yeah, and Jin Jin just looked like he moved a little bit awkwardly to that position too. So I haven't seen a whole lot of it, but um, he looked like he moved a little bit awkwardly. He stands up a little bit um, and doesn't look as comfortable there. So, yeah, you might be completely right there too, Jeff. That might just be an awkward spot for, for this player. All right. Well, good to see you observing these tactics, Mike, and hopefully that'll help come through in your own game. Thanks for the question. Now... Victor, we haven't heard of Victor for a while. He says, hey, Pink Skills, I have a brand new rival, and guess what? He's really tall. He's huge like a giant. 
He said he was seven foot four and three hundred and sixty pounds, and he's a very good player. He said he was the best in his club and has been playing for thirty five years. He top spins and smashes on every ball. He's also won fifteen tournaments and won five tours in a row at best. This will be a really tough challenge for me. His friend and him attempted two thousand five hundred counter hits in a row with within fifty minutes. It's crazy. I guess he's better than you guys on the amount of counter hits. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Alois. Uh, yes. So, well, well, Victor, victory. Um, you know the basic tactics against the, the, the tall guy can work here too. Seven foot four, the guy isn't going to be great in the middle. He's just too big. So you got to work his middle over. Um, so, uh, yeah, give that a go. Try to uh, try to see if you can uh, really tie him up in the middle there and stop him from attacking. You've got to stop him from attacking too. And... Uh, and if uh, you happen to win, run. Sounds too big. <laughs> He's way too big. All right, Alois. I'm moving on to the Ping Skillers question of the day. And because this has been such a happy show, I want to change pace a little bit and I want to find out what frustrates you the most. So jump on to our Facebook page and let us know or onto our blog at pingskills.com. What frustrates you the most? And we'll answer you that on uh, show 177, which is a sad number, I think. (laughs) All right. Uh, Next question is from Marv, who says, I have just recently noticed that if I turn my body at the waist while hitting a topspin drive or a loop against a backspin shot, I get better results. When I do these turns, I seem to get the ball back much more reliably. Does this sound right? Yeah, so it it can sound right completely. So that twisting from the waist that you're talking about is is really important as you start to advance your stroke. So if you're only playing with your arm as you advance, then you're not going to be able to get um, as much power um, or, or, or um, counter some speed. So by twisting, you're now <coughs> starting to generate that power. One thing, though, that's really important that you don't do is do the teapot tipping sideways, this way, this way. So it's more this way. So it's the old tick, 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 turning rather than twisting. So we don't uh, we don't tip here and here. We twist to generate that power, and that gets our body moving well. Um, a good guide to do this, if you're a right-hander, is to just get your left arm moving in and out of the swing as well, and that'll help you to um, to get um, the feel of that twisting happening too. Right. So you want your shoulders to remain fairly level rather than sort of be dipping and coming back up. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So you don't want this happening. Yep. You want twisting from here. I always okay. say it's like the Lego Lego man. You know, like if you remember, you know the Lego men. You twist them this way. That's what you need to look like. Gotcha. Now. With the forehand, often, just to start with, Alice, we focus on the start position and the finish position, not too much on the waist. Is that a good um, thing to start focusing on when you're first learning the shot? Yeah, so so to, to start with, just focus a lot on the arm and the and the racket movement, and as, that's what we focus on a lot with it. But as you start to advance your stroke, then you can start to think a little bit more about that uh, that twisting action to generate more speed, more power. Um, yeah. 
Great. And we've got two videos on that. We've got the forehand topspin on block, which teaches you those start positions, start position and the finish position and also um, your feet position. And then we have an advanced forehand topspin, which goes into more detail about how to hit the ball faster by, you know, twisting at the waist and starting to use um, your arm and shoulder a bit more. So I'll put a link in the show notes to those videos. All right. Well done, Marv. Good to see you progressing well. And thank you for the question. Next up, Yap says, how do you serve a fast, straight and long ball to surprise the opponent? Ma Long serves that ball. Yes. So um, so he's put a bit of a, a link in there of Ma Long doing that serve. So I'll do it left-handed. But what uh, Ma Long does is starting with the pendulum serve, but he serves it flat and fast down the line. So I'll do it right-handed. So he serves it flat and fast down the line to Fanzin Dong's um, forehand corner uh, with um, with good results. So it um, it can be an effective serve as if you use it as a surprise. A couple of things to think about when you're doing that flat long serve though. The first one is you need to obviously hit the ball a little bit flatter. So with the normal pendulum, you're brushing the ball. With the faster, longer serve, you're coming through a lot flatter. But there still needs to be a little bit of topspin on the ball to get the ball to dip down onto the table. If you hit it really flat with almost backspin, it's hard to generate uh, enough speed. So if you just play with a little bit of topspin, so you're doing it this way, so you're hitting it, but you're coming up a little bit on the ball to generate a little bit of topspin, then you can hit that ball really flat and fast. So that's the key there. But as I said, it needs to be a surprise. It can't be a serve that you do all the time because if you're serving it long and fast all the time, your opponent's going to be ready and be able to counter with um, with a strong topspin. But if you're serving short, serving short, serving short, they're starting to move in towards the table and then you serve it long at them, then it can be an effective tactic. Yeah, interesting, Alice. Now, I, with that really fast one, you need to get the topspin because the ball needs to dip a little bit, otherwise it's just going to float long. But i found against certain players, Alois, that it can also be effective to maybe do a, a long serve that's not quite as fast with a bit of backspin because then they need to lift it. So even though it doesn't come as fast, it's a bit trickier because you have to lift it. So I guess you need to weigh up those two about how fast you want the ball to go whether and whether you want a little bit of backspin on the ball. Yeah, that, that's right. So it's just, it's just um, depending on your opponent, depending on your style, um, yeah, you can change it up a little bit as well, definitely. So the long, flat slider can be really effective as well, as you said, because it makes them uh, needing, need to really lift that ball up and, and the speed um, makes it even more difficult. Okay, excellent. All right, next up is a question uh, from Nagaraj. who says... I'm currently working on my forehand topspin. I'm not bad at it. I get most of the topspins on the table. I start at my thigh level and finish up above head level. What sometimes happens is my topspins are hit off the net, off the top of the net, and sail off. So do you have any advice for Nagaraj? Yeah. So, Nagaraj, with the, with the topspin, you really shouldn't be messing with the net too much at all. So the, one of the... One of the um, beauties of the topspin is that the ball is dipping. So if this is the net level, you want the ball to be 
you know, up here somewhere when it's actually going over the net. So, so what, gives, like 16 centimetres or six inches yeah. above the net? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So so then you don't have to worry about the net and you can still hit the ball really hard over, over the net. But you need to be generating enough um, top spin on the ball. So it sounds like the stroke you're doing is right. Maybe you just need to brush the ball a little bit more on contact to generate a little bit more top spin to make it dip down quicker. So um, yeah, it sounds like you're on the right track. And certainly if you're, if you're making a lot of top spins, that's great. Just the ones that are hitting the top of the net, maybe you're hitting a little bit too flat. You just need to brush up a little bit and just don't mess with the net. Yeah, give it some, give it some good clearance. Excellent advice. All right, good luck, Nagaraj. And I've um, and I've got yep. a, I've got an answer for Victor's other question there too. Oh, Victor says, do you know how tall seven foot four is in centimeters? Yeah, about two hundred and twenty three point five one nine recurring. Wow, that's um, a interesting number recurring. Me but and that's numbers, very very Me tall. Numbers. Yeah. Me and numbers, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think that wraps up this happy show. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Make sure you go to pingskills.com and sign up for our free newsletter where we give out weekly tips. Thank you, Alloys. Thank you, Jeffrey, and uh, we'll see you again tomorrow morning, guys. See ya, and stay happy. Bye.